and happy new year to all of our listeners and welcome to another edition of shadow talk digital shadows weekly cyber threat intelligence and information security podcast my name is chris and i'll be hosting this week and i'm joined by my esteemed colleagues from over the pond ivan how are you ivan how's things do you have a good start to your new year uh thank you yeah it's been great thanks for having me man more than welcome and i'm also joined by austin austin did santa bring what you wanted for christmas uh yeah more or less you know i can't complain um you know still getting presents in my old age so that was that's a win <laughs> yeah we're just talking about what defines old age um, i'm not quite yet there yet but uh, we're definitely getting close to that that point i think um so we have a, an interesting show for you today uh, i believe this is the the first recorded shadow talk episode of 2022 uh and i was just saying to the guys I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around saying that number it just seems a bit ridiculous um but it was a, a really frantic end to 2021 with a discovery and subsequent attempts at exploitation for the log for shell vulnerability uh, impacting log4j which i imagine you know a huge number of our listeners will will still be attempting to remediate that issue fully with the full scale of that yet to be determined in the coming months. And while we're on the topic of critical vulnerabilities, on Thursday, researchers disclosed a critical JNDI-based vulnerability in the H2 database console that's um, exploiting a root cause that's quite similar to Log4Shell. So the CVE hasn't been posted by NIST for this uh, as of yet, but it will be assigned CVE number uh, CV 2021-42392, so that's probably one you're going to hear quite a bit in the coming weeks. And this reportedly affects H2 database consoles in particular, which is a widely used open source Java SQL database that's used for various projects like web or, or IoT platforms. So Austin, I imagine there's going to be you know, several moments of, of deja vu for security teams when they, they hear about this bug. But could you tell us a, a little more about this particular vulnerability and should we treat the issue with the same level of concern as log for shell yeah, that's a great question especially because you know uh, network defenders and security people have you know been kind of overwhelmed by the amount of log for shell reports and vulnerabilities out there so i think it's important to place this cve within context i think the most important thing for network defenders to know about this one is that if you're running an H2 console, which is exposed to a local area network or wide area network, network, then this is considered an extremely critical vulnerability. You should update your H2 database to the latest version uh, that's been released. But with that being said, this, uh, this vulnerability is not as widespread as Log4Shell for a couple of reasons. Um, so unlike Log4Shell, this vulnerability it has a direct scope of impact. And this means that typically the server that processes, uh, the H2 console that processes the initial request will be the server that gets impacted with remote code execution. Um, and basically what that means is that uh, with Log4Shell, there's so many other vectors to exploit. Um, and with this one, it's more specific, so it's less likely to be exposed to remote attackers, and uh, I guess the attack surface is not as uh, large as it would be for Log4Shell. Excellent. That's that's probably what a lot of people want to hear, in that the the attack surface is going to be so much lessened, which you know really does have a massive impact on the risk. You know that was the, the big issue with with Log4Shell, right? Is that 
you know, it just impacted so many devices and, you know, the identification part of um, a vulnerability triage was so difficult, you know, as a result of that. So while we're on the topic of log for shell I see the UK's National Health Service, the NHS, has stated that this bug was being actively targeted by a threat group, uh, basically to go after VMware Horizon servers. Um, could you give us an update on that, that particular case as well? Yeah, so according to the NHS, it, they described it as an unknown actor was leveraging Log4Shell exploit to achieve remote code execution on vulnerable VMware Horizon deployments on public infrastructure. In particular, this unknown actor was taking advantage of the Apache Tomcat service, which is embedded in VMware Horizon and is the um, point that is vulnerable to Log4Shell. So we, uh, related to the NHS report, we didn't have any significant updates. However, in the past two days, uh, it was reported that the Night Sky ransomware was an actor that was identified as exploiting Log4Shell to gain access to VMware Horizon systems. So I don't think a connection has been made between the NHS report and this report, but I think we can say with a certain degree of confidence that um, the actors that they're seeing, you know, could be related to Night Sky ransomware. Night Sky ransomware has um, also been linked to a uh, China-based threat group, which is, I forget the designation for it. Um, so I, I think this is definitely one group that's uh, targeting VMware Horizon systems, but I think there could be other ones out there. It's quite worrying in, in the sense that um, when people in the UK at least think of, of kind of cyber threats and the, and the healthcare system, immediate thoughts go back to WannaCry, you know, that had a, a massive impact on, you know, such a range of sectors, but it was really the NHS that kind of brought it home for people of, of how serious this was. And, if this is another ransomware group going after this, then uh, you, you'd like to hope that, that all hands are on station to try and get that, that, that bug fixed and get it done as, as quickly as possible because, like you say, ransomware actors will be targeting this with, with quite a bit of, uh, of activity and, and, and real put that on the, onto the, the priority list for, for them as a, a method onto um, targeted networks. So with that in mind, you know, has, would you say the risk associated with Log4Shell is significantly changed since the turn of the year or, or is this you know pretty much situation as normal from uh, the end of 2021 yeah i don't want to uh, downplay the significance of the vulnerability because it is it has been very significant um and it has affected a you know there's been a lot of um software and servers that have been exposed to this vulnerability but you know one could argue that the risk has diminished just because uh, the notoriety of the exploit led to so many organizations patching their software since it was first disclosed. However, we do know, as we were just talking, that groups are, are actively targeting the exploit and the unpatched organizations are at a particular risk. Um, some of our foreign experts, forum experts, have seen cyber criminals discussing the use of vulnerability scanners to discover vulnerable servers, servers that are vulnerable to Log4Shell. And any proof of concepts um, you know, one of the things that we've seen recently is, uh, you know, uh, websites like GitHub, they're taking, making an effort to get rid of proof of concepts that can be used by threat actors. Problem is, is that, it, you know, even right after they're reported or they show up on GitHub, these can be disseminated across cyber criminal forums and cloned. And we've already seen this happen. So that's the risk that's still out there, uh, especially for unpatched organizations. And just knowing the fact that cyber criminals are still trying to find a way to exploit this. 
Really interesting. Yeah, I, I saw the uh, another group that was related to Log4Shell this week was the uh, Iranian APT Charming Kitten. And on that particular campaign, the, the research report for that campaign, it was suggested that they actually use one of these exploit kits, the uh, JNDI exploit kit that was posted onto GitHub and had been removed by Microsoft, but it, it hadn't been done in time. So, you know, going back, I think it was June last year, they, they made a policy change at GitHub in order to try and mitigate the risk of kind of malware samples and um, exploit kits being being shared on their service. And they said they were going to you know, actively take these down, which, you know, did actually raise quite a bit of debate in the cyber criminal and in the, the security community as well, you know, whether this was a, a good idea. Um, and I guess that, you know, this case in the last week has really highlighted that potentially this was a, a valid thing for them to do because Threat actors do use public exploits that are posted onto services like GitHub. I definitely can see that um, happening more often in the future. So moving on to um, a different topic, but also related to extortion attacks. Uh, an article this week clarified that at the end of 2021, we saw a rise in the number of DDoS-related incidents that came with a ransom demand from the attackers to actually stop their activity. Um, and, you know, a significant number of these incidents occurred at the tail end of 2021 with, you know, sort of December in particular really being a standout month for this activity. So, Ivan, could you clarify any, you know, significant findings from this report, including techniques used by the threat actors during these attacks? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so, as you mentioned, uh, Cloudflare released this report on Monday where they talked about that they saw a massive increase in the number of ransomware and ransom DDoS attacks. Uh, and a lot of them were targeting the critical infrastructure sector uh, as well. So ransom DDoS, for those of you who don't know, is essentially when hacking groups, they perform DDoS attacks on companies, and then they send a ransom note saying like, hey, if you don't pay us, uh, we will keep attacking you and keep taking down your services uh, until, you know, uh, you give us a payment. So it's not the same thing as ransomware, although there is a ransom involved. Uh, and uh, in Q4 specifically, we saw an increase of 29% compared to the previous year uh, and in the previous quarter. Uh, and then uh, one, 175% increase compared to Q3 uh, 2021. So Cloudflare said that roughly one in three companies that they, that they surveyed uh, were being targeted by DDoS attacks over the Christmas and holiday period. Uh, so some of the key findings as well as far as like who was being targeted was the manufacturing industry. Uh, they were the number one as far as the most targeted in Q4 uh, by application layers, DDoS attacks uh, with an increase of about 641% over the quarter. Uh, and then in the second place came the business services sector. And then in third place came the gaming slash gambling sectors. Uh, some majority of this traffic originated from China and a majority of it targeted the U.S. and Canada, according to Cloudflare. And another interesting finding was that uh, has to do with the attack vectors. Uh, SYN floods were ma remained the most uh, common type of attacks, followed by UDP floods. <clears throat> but then uh, in third place was an interesting one, SN and MP uh, floods, which were you know simple network management protocol. Uh, SNMP attacks, they saw an increase of... 5,800% compared to the previous quarter. So there's a lot of interesting findings by Cloudflare, and uh, this is definitely a threat that's growing, uh, and very few people talk about it. And, you know, ransom 
in DDoS, the, it's not a particularly new concept, is it? I remember from August 2020, an attack that's targeted the New Zealand Stock Exchange that had you know, quite a demonstrable impact. There was you know, operations impacted for, for several days. I think it might have been around five days they were, they were continuously targeted in a sort of network uh, layer attack. Do you think we'll see DDoS extortion attacks grow in significance during 2022? Uh, yeah, I mean, this has been going on for quite a while. Uh, ransomware DDoS attacks, they were very, very popular back in 2012. And remember at the time, the threat actors claimed to be affiliated with the Russian group called uh, Fancy Bear. But I think that DDoS extortion attacks will definitely continue. And uh, in a way, it's kind of like a third extortion attribute that we have seen even ransomware groups use. Uh, a good example was Avedon, the ransomware group. Uh, who would launch DDoS attacks on their victims until they begin negotiating for ransom payments. So there are many ways that threat actors can leverage DDoS attacks for a profit. And uh, if companies keep paying these ransom payments, threat actors will keep doing it. And uh, it's as simple as that. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting year, isn't it? To, to, to see what the developments in the, the DDoS landscape are going to be. It, it always seems to me, I've, I've been in this industry a little a little while now and it always seems that DDoS is kind of seen as a, a lesser threat so the other types of extortion that you, you mentioned you know encryption and exfiltration based attacks they they do have such a, a more impactful and kind of long-lasting impact on targeted companies so yeah I, I think it, that's definitely going to continue as the, uh, the extortion method as ch of choice but you know DDoS is always out there you know it's always going to be a threat so interesting to see what happens in the in the following 12 months and while we're on the topic of extortion attacks, I did see this week on a slightly different technique that was used by a threat group uh, named Fin7, who impersonated Amazon and the US Department of Health and Human Services to trick targets uh, that they were attacking, essentially, to opening packages which contained malicious USB drives and allowed the actors to actually deploy ransomware. So starting with you, Ivan, it was, um, it was mentioned that Fin7 deployed both Revol and Black Matter ransomware. Could you explain the intricacies of the, the relationship between these three groups? Yeah, so they are different groups. Uh, Revol, they have been around for a very long time, since 2019. They are one of the veterans of the ransomware you know, threat landscape. And uh, they opened up their data leakage website as you know as soon as Maze created theirs and they were one of the first ones in there. And then the Black Matter, they came a little bit later, uh, about in August of 2021. And Black Matter, it incorporates features of Revel, Darkseid, and Luckbit. And a lot of people used to think that Black Matter was related uh, to Darkseid, but uh, they claimed to be a completely different group. And uh, the thing about Black Matter is that they eventually did shut down operations uh, in late 2021. And Austin, you know, what's your take on on this? And, you know, why was it successful? Is that you know, perhaps carelessness on behalf of the the companies that were impacted by this, or or is it you know, cunning on the on the the part of Fin7? I, I imagine it was a combination of some planned tradecraft and some carelessness. It sounds crazy for, especially for a lot of people in cybersecurity, the idea of falling for a drive-by USB attack. But in this case, you have to imagine that the attackers went to some pretty great lengths to make the impersonations appear convincing. 
they used UPS and USPS legitimate mailing services. They had you know, legitimate logos on the, the merchandise and the boxes. Um, even the USB drives were, you know, like a standard brand. And so the NIH package, uh, National Institute of Health contained COVID-19 guidelines, which I would find kind of strange, but I think the Amazon packages contained letters about counterfeit gift cards and forged thank you notes. So yeah, I, with the frequency in which people, especially in the US, I don't know about the UK, uh, order Amazon packages, um, my wife being one, <laughs> I think that they would just assume, oh, okay, hey, Amazon's doing me a favor. They're trying, they're looking out for me. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's a very bizarre way to introduce ransomware into a company environment, but it, it can be effective if, you know, if they use the, some cunning tradecraft. I'm, I'm definitely with you on that one, by the way, in terms of the, the constant stream of Amazon packages that I have delivered to my house. It's, it's a bit ridiculous. I, I hate using it so much, but uh, it is it is so useful, convenient. To be honest, and are you saying I shouldn't plug this USB drive through <laughs> the door? I shouldn't get that into my laptop. Yeah, maybe it was like plug this USB drive into your computer, and we'll you'll get a hundred dollar voucher to Amazon. <laughs> Who knows? Morgan, can't wait. Yeah, give me that voucher. Um, and one for for both of you. What other ransomware associated techniques have you seen that perhaps they're outside of the box, they, they break the trend of what we usually see, or you know, perhaps they're otherwise you know, creative in, in achieving their goal. I'll start with you, Austin. What do you think on this one? I was just thinking about, I remember last year, there was an insider threat situation at a Tesla factory in Nevada, and there was a Russian national working at the factory, and they tried to con coerce another employee to install a USD, USB device on Tesla computers, and this USB device would put ransomware on all of the systems at the company. And they, I guess the plan was to, you know, try to get Tesla to pay the ransom. And then the insider threat planned to share a 50, 50 split with the other employee, but they got turned in and they ended up going to jail. But I just thought it was a, it was such a bizarre concept and, uh, a very real case of an insider threat, which we don't, we don't see a case, a high profile case like that very often. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, I, I don't have too many kind of thoughts of ransomware and insider threats, you know, being, you know, coming together at the same time. It's usually kind of disgruntled or a reckless employee. You don't really associate it with, with ransomware activity too much. Um, what, what about you, Ivan? What kind of out of the box, techniques have you seen uh, that are associated with ransomware? Oh, actually, I have a very similar story to Austin. Uh, Lockbit 2.0, when they targeted Accenture, uh, they claimed that they did it so via an insider, I believe. And uh, Lockbit 2.0 on their website, uh, they actually advertise a program where if you give access to a company, they're willing to pay you up to $1 million for that access. So they, they are recruiting insiders to do their bidding and to make their lives a little bit easier. So uh, this issue with insiders is definitely something that could be, you know, a threat in the future. That's interesting. I'm, I'm literally writing a, a bit of a deck on kind of ransomware and what to expect in 2022. And that's certainly something I hadn't considered. So I might just include that in there, actually, you know, insider threats, it's definitely something that could be associated with that type of cyber criminal activity. Okay, thank you so much, uh, chaps, both for your contributions today. 
Um, that almost brings us to a close to the end of this podcast. I'd like to also give a couple of quick shout outs for material that we've released in the past week or so. So the first blog I'd like to plug is a piece detailing cyber threats to the education sector, which is one of the most commonly targeted by cyber threat actors. And one of the reasons for this is the transition to remote working and how this has increased the attack surface of organizations within the sector, which is you know, one of the key points and takeaways that's explored in this blog. And another blog from the last week and released on Tuesday was written by myself, exploring the nature of money laundering in the ransomware community, the relationship between ransomware and cryptocurrency, how actors use privacy coins, uh, tumblers and mixers and chain hopping to anonymize their payments. I really enjoyed writing this piece and, and researching it. So, so definitely check that one out if you have the time. And that brings me to the end of this week's podcast. Thank you very much for joining us today. Happy New Year, and we hope to see you next week. Goodbye.